Welcome back to the Cat Sounds Podcast. I am Brian McCauley, your host. We are back and we're going to jump right in. But first, uh, how are you doing? Are you doing all right? 2021 is a hard year on all of us. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I'm thinking of you. I'm holding space for you. I'm making a space for you. I'm hitting the space bar for you. And on that note, we've got another great Cat Sounds advertiser for you. So let's seamlessly transition right into that. The Family is a community-based organization of like-minded individuals sharing in community and shared cooperative goals. The Family was founded by John, a visionary and iconoclastic thinker. The Family is located in beautiful Laguna Beach, where they maintain a three-acre property in a secluded location. Kids can learn organic farming, rudimentary social organization, activism, and most importantly, community. The Family is a community organization. What can you do to get involved? Well, The Family is currently seeking women ages 18 to 24 to join their community and get involved. Such young women are invited to apply by sending an email to John at thefamilylaguna.com. That address, John at thefamilylaguna, all one word, dot com. Please include a brief biography, resume, headshot, and measurements. Interviews will be conducted the week of March 7th. Finalists will be invited to join the Inner Circle, the family's most exclusive group. In the Inner Circle, you'll be welcome to enter the yurt, a spiritual structure encompassing a circular dwelling wherein you'll really get to bond with and truly know John. Uh, the email address again, john at thefamilylaguna.com. Um, big thank you to the family of Laguna Beach, new advertiser here on the Cat Sounds podcast. Okay, so what are we doing here this week? We're going to talk about movies again. We're going to talk about movies you can watch on HBO Max again. So um, HBO Max, to their credit, just has a ton of old movies. Their library is enormous. And it's full of movies I remember from when I was a kid. And this week we are going to discuss two of those. I'm getting rid of her for two whole months. I can go to the beach. I can stay out as late as I want. I can do anything. I'm a free woman. Do you remember Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead? This was a 1991 movie starring Chris Dina Applegate, who was at that time known mainly as the actress who portrayed Kelly Bundy on Married with Children. Here's the plot. Uh, Sue Ellen, played by Applegate, is a 17-year-old resident of Greater Los Angeles who is uh, the oldest of five children. Their mom has to go on a trip to Australia for some reason. That's going to last several weeks. Uh, how many weeks is not totally clear, but it's longer than people would usually or should leave a family of five kids alone. Um, five kids, uh, five children under the age of majority. So this mom hires uh, an old crotchety babysitter. What? All right, you little maggots and Alana. Are you serious? I'll make your summer a living. Help! Hey! To mind them. And the babysitter, well, she dies. Uh, she drops dead. So Sue Ellen has to basically become the head of the household. And that is what this movie is about. Um, this is, I guess, what they used to call, uh, or, or at least um, the plot here is akin to what they used to call um, a black comedy. And it, it portions of this are quite dark. Uh, the old woman comes into the lives the lives of these kids, and like she immediately dies. Um, like she just is dead uh, very suddenly in a chair. Um, she like sits down in a chair, and the next time they go back to check on her, she is dead. Um, and these kids, their reaction, their reaction to what would inarguably be a traumatic event 
uh, is is to think that they should hide her death and use it as an opportunity to supervise themselves. She died in her sleep. They'll probably blame us. Hey, be careful. I got her. No, I mean my skateboard. Rock and roll! And that's literally what they do. Um, they put this woman's, this woman, a person. This was a person with a life and presumably a family at one time. They they put her corpse in a trunk. Um, it's like the kind of trunk where you keep clothes, where you, um, like if you were immigrating to America in the year 1900, you would bring your clothes here in a trunk like this. But they, you know, they put a person into it and they dump it at a mortuary and they knock on the door and they run away um, as though mortuaries work that way. <laughs> um, like they would find the body and be like, guess we should bury this, uh, which is kind of what happens in this movie. Like some worker in coveralls um, answers the door and and um, is like, yo, Bobby, look at this. Who would do such a thing? It's really got that kind of energy to it. Uh, and those are characters that, that we only really see in the, um, you know, like a, a sort of a post credit sequence again. But that's all we really ever hear uh, for the rest of the movie proper about this dead babysitter. Um, like that's a wrap on the babysitter. And from there, this movie becomes about Sue Ellen trying to function in the adult world and earn a living to support her family of four other children. Who are terrible, by the way. These kids, uh, outside of Sue Ellen, who, who is okay. Um, these kids are all like unbelievable fucking brats. I mean, do I need to elaborate beyond the fact that they have now covered up the death of a human being? You know, I was a misbehaved kid at one point. I would not have done this. Uh, I, I would not have um, taken it upon myself to dispose of a human body because I am not a disturbed serial killer, right? Um, but I will elaborate. One thing that's curious is that nobody in this family looks like anybody else in this family, uh, which makes you wonder how many dads are we talking about here? The mom here is obviously some kind of shoulder pads nymphomaniac, but I'll grant that it's a movie and that's not unusual. Um, movie siblings do not always look like their siblings. At one point they do mention a dad. One of them is like, should we call dad? And another one of them is like, dad doesn't care. Um, I imagine dad probably does not care. I would not if, if these were my children. Um, so Sue Ellen, Christina Applegate is 17. And I only know that because they mention it at some point. I would have believed she was older, which um, I looked it up. Christina Applegate was 20 years old when this movie came out. But I mean older, not, not you know, she did not look older to me, but she's like constantly walking around in this movie smoking cigarettes, including in front of her mom, which is a real sign of an old movie, right? At this point in 2021, uh, 30 years later, adults of even like middle age are generally not allowed to smoke in movies. Uh, there's a huge push to disallow smoking from movies, because people in Hollywood are stupid enough to believe that anybody smokes because of movies rather than because nicotine is a drug that elicits pleasure in those who use it. But this movie is, is frozen perfectly in time before the fun police finally succeeded in ruining smoking, an activity that, um, you know, every American child should at least try. Um, and you got to try it when you're young, right? Um, I don't think there's any worth after you're 18. You should really, I mean, I know the age, I think it's 21 now, but, um, yeah, when you're, if you're a kid, you should try smoking. Um, yeah, I, I certainly did. And you, you might even have to try it more than once. I think I had a cigarette when I was seven. I didn't like it. Um, you know, but I really persisted and I, and I did, I discovered it. It was really good, but enough about that. Uh, so because they have no money, right? Sue Ellen gets a job at a place called the Clown Dog, which is supposed to be Chuck E. Cheese. Um, and I think may have been filmed in an actual Chuck E. Cheese. They certainly use um, a cheaply altered version of the actual Chuck E. Cheese costume in some shots. I only noticed this because when I was a teenager, I did work at actual Chuck E. Cheese. So I've got a real eye for these things. Um, and fucking painted on the wall in this place are the words respect the meat 
What in the world does that even mean? And so she meets a boy at this job. Uh, Brian is his name, too. Uh, played by Josh Charles, who you would recognize from a lot of things, but I guess a lot of people know him from The Good Wife. But he's in about like a, a million different things, and he's not an especially compelling actor. Um, I don't think anybody puts him in a movie because they want that character to really stand out. Um, but I will in this movie, right, that's not entirely his fault. Uh, to some extent, he does stand out in this movie. Um, Brian is given, he's constantly given like terrible lines and expected to deliver them as though any non-insane person would ever offer these things in conversation with a woman, particularly in the jokes he makes. And I consider myself a person who has some expertise in how to make women laugh because when it comes to women, I haven't really got much else to offer than that. Um, so I, I, I'm a real gourmand in this department. At one point, Sue Ellen is like, to Brian, did you have a lot of deliveries? And that that's my impression of her which is perhaps a little insulting. Maybe I should drop the actual line in, but I'm a little lazy for that, nevertheless. Uh, and this clown, <laughs> uh, Brian, he says to her, yeah, I'm the stork of fast food. Like that is clever. I assure you her vagina turned immediately to salt as though it were the vagina of Lot's wife in the Bible um, at that demonstration of wit. Um... But the writing team of Neil Landau and Tara Eisen thought this a worthy contribution to a cinematic courtship. And hey, uh, this is not a terrible movie. I will back off a little bit on that. I'm not saying that. I am not saying it is terrible. I fully expected this movie to be awful when I put it on because I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. It's very normal for things that were good when you were a kid to be terrible when you watch them as an adult. So I was honestly surprised by how entertained I still was by this movie. But like I said, there are problems with it. Uh, so Sue Ellen she, uh, decides she doesn't want to work at the clown dog. It, does, it doesn't pay enough for her. And she goes looking for a better job. And she ends up at like um, a fashion firm or something. I don't it, is that is is that a, a thing? Is that, is that a kind of business? Um, I don't really even know how to describe this to you, right? It's like some kind of company where fashion goes on. It's not super well defined. The place is called General Apparel West, um, or as they call themselves in their branding, GAW Gaw. Uh, and their main line of business is like selling school uniforms or something. But at the same time, they're like very concerned with fashion and like what is and isn't fashionable. Um, but their business is selling like boring school uniforms, like the kind of thing that is probably sewn in a factory from a design the U.S. Army drafted in 1947. Um, anyway, a big part of this movie hangs on contracts for school uniforms. Um and I would guess that that's an area that you can't really, you probably don't have like much room. Um, I'd like, don't you make kids wear uniforms so they can't dress fashionably? Like, so they, they can't wear the things they would want to be wearing. I don't know. Um, I've, I've never worn a school uniform. I was a little old for it, I guess. Um, I know it's come back quite a bit in a lot of places, but my school lets you wear, um, whatever. Um, although I did, you know, I was once forced to remove a Beavis and Butthead t-shirt, um, because it said one of them was saying on it, school sucks. Ha 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 ha. If you, if you're not familiar with this shirt, um, it's because it was a knockoff. It was from the flea market. All right. I, you know, it wasn't cool. I didn't buy it at the mall. Um, but it said school sucks on it at a teacher. I think this was fifth grade. Mr. Wood did not care for that. He demanded I immediately turn the shirt inside out. I refused. Um, he demanded it again and said I was going to have to go to the principal's office, at which point, um, yeah, I turned it inside out. Uh, but if I had a time machine, I swear, I would definitely time travel back there and murder Mr. Wood and hide his body. Nevertheless, um, 
Sue Ellen goes to work at this place. It's one of these things where, you know, she lies on her resume and she bluffs her way into this like pretty great job. She ends up being like an executive assistant to some like high fashion, high powered fashion lady. And it's very much one of these situations where fate just lines up with her fake resume. And this lady basically is like, I like your spunk kid. You got the job, right? Um, young people today probably do not realize, but the world used to work like this before the internet. There's almost no limit to the amount of lying you could do on a resume. Um, if you were willing to do a reasonable amount of planning and, and have sociopath level ethics, you could say whatever you wanted on a resume. In many cases, people would do this. Um, you know, uh, if, if one of your references were just a long distance call, if it was not that important a job, uh, the person hiring you probably would not bother um, making a call that was going to cost them money. And it didn't obviously did not work for um, for a lot of jobs, but it's remarkable how many jobs this did work for. Um, and in the era of the internet, like how many people have been exposed for having done this at one point or another in their career? Um, and I get the '90s or like the mid to late '90s. Uh, were like the tail end of this era. That was when the internet really drove the final nail into the coffin of this thing. Today, it's pretty easy to catch someone. Um, today, the problem often is employers spending like three seconds on Google and finding things out about you that have nothing to do with work and which they shouldn't have any business knowing. Um, but it did used to work like this. I used to work with this old guy, now deceased, who had bluffed his way into a very lucrative career. This was in, I think, the 1960s, may have even been the 50s, because he was, like, extremely old. Um, but he was, like, a reckless alcoholic and drug addict. I think he was a heroin addict when that was still a thing that, like, only beatniks knew about. But nevertheless, um, I think I, at this point he had already served time in prison, so this guy makes his way from Texas to Los Angeles. And he told me that he got into town and bathed himself in the water in Santa Monica, like in the ocean with soap and water. Um, he cleans up and he, he walks into, I believe, the offices of Liberty Mutual Insurance on Wilshire Boulevard. Um, if it wasn't Liberty, it was another insurance company. But anyway, he just like drops in with a fake resume and um, they fucking hired this guy, right? It's another one of these like, I like your spunk kid. You got the job. Uh, he said to me about this incident, they hired me on the spot and salaried me at $18,000 a year, which I guess was like a lot of money at that time. Cause again, this was like the 1950s. Um, so I took his word for it. But um, like I said, he, He's a liar. So either way, somebody from the 1950s can call the Cat Sounds 24-hour hotline at 949-484-9724 to disabuse me of that notion if need be. But um, I'm really getting way off topic here. Uh, that's basically what happens to Sue Ellen. They salary her at $37,500 a year, which is still impressive to me in 2021. Right, it's 1991. This movie came out. Um, this is when she could probably rent a nice apartment in LA for like 400 bucks a month. I, I don't know how realistic that part of this movie was, but you know, I, I don't find it outside the scope of what is believable. And at that point, this movie basically just devolves into like a workplace comedy with a lot of tension about whether she'll be discovered or not. We don't really see much of her awful siblings thereafter, which I was not complaining about because, like I said, they're terrible. Um, this is a pretty good movie in a way that surprised me. I expected this to be a movie, uh, you know, again, like something I enjoyed on home video in 1991, uh, which just becomes unwatchable over the course of 30 years. Um, but I was pretty entertaining. I have a few other odds and ends I want to mention about it that um, I know you'll enjoy. A pre-famous David Duchovny is in this movie, and he is incredible. He is like a sleazy, greasy fashion man of some kind. Um, you know, I 
I don't really mind that Cat Sounds is audio and not video, but God, I wish I could just show you how he just Google it. Google David Duchovny. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. And you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But anyway, he's another worker of some kind at this company who wants to expose and ruin Sue Ellen for no real reason that is perceivable to the audience. Um, you know, maybe David Duchovny just excels at playing characters who want to expose the truth. Um, I think it was more, he, he wants to fuck this other character who is Sue Ellen's nemesis. Um, or for no reason. It could be for no reason. This movie doesn't really add up in that way. He's not a well thought out character. And, and you'll notice that immediately if you watch this movie. Um, but but it's it's curious to look at now simply because the X-Files became a, a massive hit series just a few years after this movie came out. Everything else in this movie is pretty weird. For one thing, it's unclear how old everyone at this company thinks Sue Ellen is. Like, obviously, she's not that old because, like, she's still young enough to look like somebody who's in fucking high school, which she is. But at one point, this woman, her boss, her name is Rose, says, and this is after Sue Ellen makes some comment, some comment about when she was in high school. Um, Rose says, back then it was safe, right? Which, like, how old can she possibly fucking think Sue Ellen is? Um, like, back then, like five years ago? It was much safer. Um, at another point, uh, the same character says to her, Oh, Sue Ellen, every girl over 25 should have a cucumber in their house. So I, I presumably, that's another line. That, that would have been a good line for Brian. Maybe um, maybe they originally wrote it for him. Um, but presumably, these are people who think she's over 25. I don't know what else to tell you uh, about this movie's unconventional dialogue these really these are lines i'm quoting the cucumber the stork the fast food there are plenty more um you might want to fire this one up on hbo max purely for that reason so blah 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 blah. the scheme eventually falls apart after sue ellen arranges for a a bizarre like avant-garde fashion show at her own house after blowing all the company's petty cash on like nonsense for herself aka embezzlement um so the mom, you know, shoulder pads, nymphomaniac comes home during this bizarre fashion show and interrupts it and is shocked. Um, like whatever. She's had zero contact whatsoever. Um, during her like sex tourist, Paul Hogan thing or whatever down under, um, riding the crocodile or whatever. Um, and then comes home and is, is just up in arms, um, that her child has like gotten a career, while she was gone, um, there seems to be like less, uh, and there's there's just much less of a focus on the fact that these children hid a dead body. There's also like you know, there's like some transphobia sprinkled throughout this movie, um, but if you want to exhume the movie and cancel it for that reason, you're just gonna have to go on over to HBO Max and unearth it yourself. I'm not gonna do your homework for you. Well, maybe a little bit, just as a tree. Help. We need money. We have no food. Hey, those drag queens? What's a drag queen? That's our car. Let's go, let's go. Hey, what are you queens doing in our car? Liza? There is a whole bizarre subplot in this movie about Sue Ellen being brazenly sexually harassed by this cretin named Gus. It was some kind of like marketing executive at, at Gaw, who was supposed to be fucking her, her boss Rose, but whatever. I don't really have time to go into it. Um, anyway, yeah, that's it. That's a wrap on don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. That was not the only movie I watched this week to report back to you. I also watched Clifford. Clifford is a very special little boy. Would you please stop hitting the back of my chair? I am trying to sleep. I'm sorry, Miss Nice Older Person, but I don't know what you're talking about. Perhaps you were just having a nightmare about your early days in the circus. Hi, what's your name, son? My name is Clifford, and I think you're the bestest captain in the whole wide world. Well, thank you. 
and he's bound for Los Angeles to spend a week with his Uncle Martin. Isn't there an incredible family resemblance? Look at this. Well, I, I guess so. Are we ready to go to Dinosaur World now? I've got some bad news. <laughs> what? What? A whole gang of chocolate. I need it badly. What do you mean you're out of chocolate? I need chocolate! Breaking a little boy's promise would be a terrible, terrible thing. I would imagine that little boy wouldn't be responsible for what he was going to do next. I believe your drink is right there. This is a fucking bizarre movie. Honest to God, I, I, I give it a lot of points purely on that basis. Now, according to Wikipedia... Clifford, um, who is the title character of this movie, is 10 years old. Uh, I didn't know that growing up. I knew Clifford was supposed to be like a, a young boy, certainly younger than the actor. But I always imagined he was like 12 or 13. Uh, of course, it doesn't matter. He, he's obviously something very wrong is happening in this movie. And... Um, I don't know. I had this movie on VHS in the '90s as, as a young boy, right? Um, as as a as a as an early to young boy. I think I don't know. I probably saw this the first time when I was 11 or 12. Um, but I had the VHS. I think we bought it from the video store, like a you know, which most of my movies came from. But I think I only bought this movie because it was exceptionally cheap. But once I had it, I rewatched this frequently. Um, I've probably seen this movie 25 times. Uh, and what was the charm of it? Um, rewatching it this week. I can't tell you that this is a question to which I have the answer. Um, where to even begin? Uh, the whole thing opens at this like hellish orphanage of the future that has computer controlled gates um, you know, it looks like an orphanage of, of today or a hundred years ago, but we know it's the future because it has like futuristic computer controls for these gates. And um, all of the kids have to wear these drab outfits as though clothing technology has not uh, has has regressed, I guess, in the 21st century, which I, I take this to be. Um, these uniforms were definitely not vibrant enough to be the sort that Sue Ellen showcased at her fashion show. But um, we are treated there, the orphanage to old Clifford, right? Who is played by Martin short. He's a priest and um, he is trying to get through to a mischievous young Ben Savage uh, star of boy meets world. And this is cause for him to tell and for us to flash back to uh, old Clifford's own childhood. So we do that and we get to meet 10-year-old Clifford. Except he's also played by Martin Short. Uh, this movie was filmed in 1991, the year that the prior movie came out. Uh, but it sat shelved for years until it was finally released in 1994. Um, but anyway, Martin Short was born in the year 1950. He was 41 years old in 1991. He was not 10 years old. Um, and honestly, as Clifford, he seems older than even that, right? Um, I would have put him like more like 50. Um, but we are being asked to believe that he is a 10-year-old boy. Uh, and But perhaps not asked to believe it, but but at least asked to go along with it. That That's the whole device of this movie, that a 41-year-old Martin Short plays a 10-year-old boy. So Clifford's dream is to visit Dinosaur World. It's some kind of dinosaur theme park in Los Angeles. Um, and he's on a flight to Hawaii with his parents. And during the flight, he causes um, an emergency that forces the plane to land in L.A., where his uncle Martin lives, who is then forced to take him in. Um... A lot of interesting pre 9-11 access to the cockpit stuff happens in this movie. Um, it, it makes me nostalgic for not, well, not, not nostalgic for 9-11. Um, although some things do once in a while, I'll tell you, uh, it makes me nostalgic for pre 9-11. But Uncle Martin is played by Charles Grodin, the actor most well known for his extremely boring talk show, 
jail. I was strip searched. I was I was humiliated. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I made the tape. Oh God, it was wrong, Uncle Martin. And why did I do it? Why? I think I know why. Because I was so angry at you for having promised that you would take me to Dinosaur World and then breaking that promise, Uncle Martin. What is it with you and Dinosaur World? It's a sick thing. You're like you're obsessed with this Dinosaur World. But he has some really high energy moments in this movie. Basically, uh, Cliff, Clifford starts to ruin his life. Uncle Martin has a girlfriend named Sarah, played by Mary Steenburgen, uh, in, in a really bizarre and strange and kind of hard to like explain or convey to you kind of presentation. Clifford he wants to bang Sarah, or does he? Uh, remember he's supposedly 10, right? So I, I don't know what I'm supposed to think to see this man of, of, of 41 years old doing these things that I'm supposed to infer is like a, a childhood crush. I don't know. The point being, he has an intense boner for her. So Clifford, uh, tries to break them up and, and also acts affirmatively to destroy uncle Martin's career all of which is related to this burning desire to go to dinosaur world. Um, I won't spoil whether he gets there, I guess. The movie is actually not very interesting, is my point. Um, it's just very strange. If you just if you swapped out the score for something more ominous, this could be a David Lynch movie. Um, this is a bizarre world where some kind of Benjamin Button syndrome causes 10-year-olds to resemble 41-year-old men or perhaps causes 41-year-old men to behave like 10-year-old boys. You know, they don't do a lot of world building in that way that, that would really convey what we're supposed to think in this movie. It, You know, after you watch this, it makes sense that that it nobody released it for three years. Um, I imagine this whole affair was something pretty difficult to market. But... Anyway, in the climax of this movie, Uncle Martin loses his mind. Um, Clifford basically psychologically tortures him until his entire concept of self and the world stretches to the breaking point. It's an ugly scene. Um, and in, in doing this, he, Clifford is almost an Iago-like figure. If, um, if you're a student of Othello, as I consider myself... Um, sometimes we understand his motivations, uh, or we think we do, but in the end, we cannot imagine anything that would motivate someone to behave quite this way. And, and I'm not just, um, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's darker than I paint it. You know, it, I don't mean that just like, you know, oh, uncle Martin gets put in a straitjacket or something. He decides to murder Clifford and, um, you know, for for several minutes of this movie, it you know, and I don't know what the, I couldn't tell you what the exact presentation is supposed to be, like whether we're to believe that he actually intends to do it or whatever. But for sure, I know watching this as a kid, I I thought he was trying to kill Clifford, and watching it as an adult, I didn't have the feeling I was wrong, right? Um. So what is my overall take on this very strange movie? Well, like I said. It is not as good as I remember it. And how that sentence strikes you probably depends very much on how old you are. Because if you are young, that might sound foreign to you. Even if you're 20 years old today in 2021, many of the things you enjoyed when you were 12 might still seem very good to you now, even if they don't occupy much of your time. So if you're 20 now, I don't know what you enjoyed when you were 12 in like 2014, but um, say it was Marvel movies. Those movies were in full swing at that time. Captain America, the Winter Soldier, the second one, um, which is one of the few Marvel movies I've seen. I, I might venture the best of the ones I've seen came out that year. So if you're 20 now, you're still living in the Marvel movie era, right? Whatever that... Um, Marvel Cinematic Universe Massage Parlor. They're building at Disneyland. Um, that that still has not even opened yet. Um, you know, 
people in Hollywood are of the view that these movies are, are just going to be the movies going forward. Um, but perched up here at the age of 38, I can promise you that is not the case. In fact, my life doesn't uh, have credit worthiness necessarily, but nevertheless, I would bet my life on the fact that this Marvel movie thing isn't going to last in the long term. Um, you know, I'm not saying it'll go away entirely, but what we're living through right now is time limited because that is just the way things go. On the one hand, the people who enjoy a particular thing get older and they start to enjoy other things. And meanwhile, new younger people are themselves into other things. Uh, Star Wars has had a very similar revival recently. The, the Mandalorian is huge right now, and the recent movies have performed utterly respectably, right? And mind you, I'm not comparing uh, this forgotten Martin Short movie, Clifford, to either Star Wars or Marvel. That would be absurd. Really, very few other people than me enjoyed this movie in 1994, or, or even saw it, right? But a ton of people at that time liked this kind of movie. Uh, people liked screwball comedies. Uh, and they liked comedies that, about rude, misbehaving kids. The movie Problem Child, another totally forgettable movie that I will probably never watch again, spawned multiple sequels. Disney had their own version of this kind of movie. Um, I think this was originally a Disney release back when they released movies through other brands that were less targeted toward kids. But even under like the Disney brand, they had their own version of this kind of crap with stuff like Blank Check and First Kid about like, I don't know, kids who um, get to run around acting like little assholes because of some magical thing that happens to them. And those kids were slightly better behaved than Clifford and, and were played by uh, age-appropriate actors. Um, but they were in this vein, right? Even characters on Full House or Saved by the Bell, were do many of them were doing some version of this like rude, adventurous kid trope. And today, almost nothing like this exists. Uh, we have the corpse of this, basically, in the culture now, to some degree, like haunting us, right? With, with shit like Fuller House and the Saved by the Bell reboot and this upcoming Punky Brewster reunion, if you've heard of it. Uh, and, you know, I, I have no idea who any of that stuff is for. Personally, I watched all of those shows in the 80s and the 90s, like often daily, because there just wasn't a lot of stuff for a kid to watch. And, and those things were syndicated and they were on all the time. Um, as an adult, I have zero interest in following up with those characters and seeing what life has become for them. Um, you know, I might want to see something if it was roundly negative, right? Um, if it was about them all, like, I don't know, suffering like terrible adult, you know, if you, if you could make like a say by the bell that was literally about some different like nightmare, horrible life happening for all of those characters i might watch that um you know and to some degree that has been the, the reality for those child stars but um the point being i'm i don't think of myself as nostalgic um some people might be surprised to hear that because um i don't know i, I spend a lot of time like thinking about old things or t even talking about them it, it doesn't like you know i don't know it's it's not enjoyable to me to like remember my own memories by revisiting things that I wouldn't enjoy as an adult. Um, you know, I can go back and listen to music or something from like the eighties or the nineties if I still like it. Right. Um, so there's a lot of like Billy Joel songs <laughs> that, uh, I would still listen to because they're still good. Um, but the song he did for the Oliver and company soundtrack in like the late eighties, I don't listen to that one often, right? Even though that was my favorite movie at one time when I was six year, years old. Um, and that was perhaps one of the first pieces of music I ever really enjoyed because I had one of those like storybook read-along cassettes for, for that movie and, and, and the song was on it. Um, 
you know, I just, I don't find myself wanting to go back and hear that again because I just don't think of it as good music anymore, right? Um, it's, it's a far cry from the Glass Houses album. Thank you. You know, I grew up, um, I was really into Star Wars, uh, much more than I was into Oliver and Company or Disney. And when I was a child, uh, Star Wars and Disney were two different things. Um, but Star Wars for me, as a child, it was almost a religion to me. Uh, and I know that, I don't know how ridiculous that sounds anymore. Because clearly there are some adults who still think this way. And I will get to that. But when I was a kid, you know, I, I wanted to be a Jedi and use the Force. And yes... Even as a kid, I knew these things were not real. I understood that. Um, I, I knew the difference between reality and fantasy in large part. But uh, to an embarrassingly late age, I wanted to, even if just in my heart, pretend it was real. I thought like I could honorably, in a way, I could honorably live in a way that that these movies were about. Right. I thought that like I, I could kind of be an homage to them in, in demonstrating that these values appealed to me, these Jedi values. Right. Um, God, how embarrassing. Uh, yeah. And yeah, when I let go of that fantasy, my age definitely ended in teen. Uh, it, it could have been. I know I was still into Star Wars when I was 16. Because that was when The Phantom Menace came out. And then I was very into that movie coming out. I think I had let go of being quite this big of a dork about it at, by then. But nevertheless, right? Um, the Star Wars cast a pall over my life, um, potentially into my 20s. Or not really. I mean, only until I discovered intoxication, right? Once I discovered intoxication, I think I let go entirely of this. But... Um, but I get it, right? I, I get that these things mean so much to you. Um, when you're a kid, especially, you know, I, I definitely did not see these things, you know, these like Jedi values or whatever modeled much in my own community. Uh, that was a place where, you know, people kind of had standards for their own behavior um, or, or things they wouldn't do just to avoid like public shame or scrutiny. Um, but mostly like people just did whatever they needed to do to get by. And sometimes they took an unfair advantage of other people or they harmed them. Um, sometimes not meaning to other times really meaning to, um, my world was the real world, right? And the real world can be a, a very ugly, ugly place. Um, but I, I grew up, um, I, I learned entirely to um separate fantasy from reality i think or at least i hope um i don't think i'd choose to live in fantasy at this point um and that desire it can last very very long into adulthood and it can manifest itself in all kinds of ways in all kinds of areas of your life some people have romantic fantasies right um you know be they specific or general um, it can really lead to people having, um, unrealistic expectations, you know, be it romantic ones or for their own career. Um, you can play this game like all day long. You know, there are, there are just people my age and older who are, who are still really wedded to these, um, these fantasies about their life and what their life will be. Um, what really disturbs me is the amount of real adults who still want to live in these specific childhood fantasies. Um, way too many adults right now are concerning themselves with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, and they're bargaining with themselves in embarrassing ways. 40-year-old men are going on podcasts weekly to discuss fucking WandaVision. Disney Plus's new Marvel show. And they're saying, oh, this week was almost David Lynchian and it seems of no, no, it was fucking not. Um, it was a tacky show from a megalomaniacal corporation produced in a content factory about fucking Vision and the Scarlet Witch. That is what it is. And it is for children. It is for children and for, 
you know, parents of those children to kind of enjoy when they are forced to watch it with their children. Um, so children of all ages, maybe that, yeah, I guess that's fair. Um, but is that who you aspire to be? Are you aspiring to be a 50 year old child? Cause for many, I would say you're well on your way. Maybe even me, right? That, that may include me. Uh, but not about this, not about that particular show. So like I said, um, you know, and I'm, I'm not trying to be critical or mean any more than I can to exploit this for cheap laughs on my unlistenable podcast. But um, the point being, I realize the answer to this question is yes, many adults want it this way. Um, I realize all, all the shit, um, you know, I, I don't know. I'd say I'd, I'd group it more broadly under um, just this obsession, at least in our culture to like preserve youth and extend youth. Um, and, and for everyone to be like AJ Soprano at age 28, still not having like begun adulthood. Um, I see all kinds of connections, right? I realize all the shit that women are having surgically stuffed into their faces and men increasingly as well. Um, but there was a time when people spent like a year or two or three or none having a relative bit of fun with the freedom that accompanies attaining the age of majority. And then they succumbed to adulthood. Uh, they worked at a job that they may not be particularly in love with and they got fat and their hair fell out. Uh, but they had their children and that became the point of life. Um, you know, even if you didn't obsess over your children, uh, you know, even if you took kind of a disinterest in your children, um, like the greatest generation seemed to from everything I saw, uh, for like, you know, all of my life interacting with anybody born like before 1950, um, but even then, like those people really, really, uh, you know, I think most of them saw the goal of their life as 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 that their children would have a better life than they had, you know, um, and maybe, uh, you know, they did have their own things they obsessed over. Um, there was in the 80s when I was a kid, there was a limited market for trying to sell like um, music from the 1940s back to people again. And, and yeah, I guess there is like, yeah, there's, there's a kind of nostalgia that goes with that. But I think, um, for prior generations, um, you know, before, you know, people my age and below, uh, and some that are unfortunately a little older, um, but nobody older than generation X, right? I think most people like reach adulthood and, um, you know, start to worry about adult concerns exclusively. Uh, they worry about how much money they're going to make next year and how much money their kid could expect to make, like I said, when they become an adult. And, and these, you might say these things are shallow concerns, right? These are not like deep spiritual concerns. They're not what a person wants to be remembered for after they are gone. Um, but there's plenty of time for that too, right? that's what the time you actually spend with your kids is for. Um, these more shallow concerns, shallow though they may be, are real world concerns. They concern not the Marvel Cinematic Universe, not the Star Wars universe, not Westeros, not Middle Earth, but the universe. The universe in which you are living, in which your time is limited. So if you're 40 years old and you're doing weekly recaps of WandaVision or worse, you're listening to them, well, you need to develop a drug problem. Maybe you need to start having an affair, um, maybe with somebody from work. Um, maybe you need to become a compulsive gambler. Have you tried that? These are all things which will provide your life with more meaning. That is my honest appraisal of this entire thing. Um, you know, uh, a philandering, compulsive, gambling, heroin-abusing crack addict has a more meaningful life than somebody in middle age doing this much time talking about Marvel Comics. Um, that is my honest assessment. Of course, here I am, 
I am a nearly 40 year old man on a podcast discussing don't tell mom the babysitter's dead and Clifford. So don't take my word for it. Anyway, that's our show for this week. Big thank you to Disney, Martin Short, Christina Applegate, Duchovny, and especially the family of Laguna Beach. Our music, as always, is Matza by Frog Belly and Symphony off their album, The Eye. Check them out on Bandcamp and at frogbellyandsymphony.com. We'll be back. Uh, stay safe. If you can get the vaccine, do. Do get the vaccine. But probably you can't. So whatever, be anti-vax or something. Uh, It's not like life will change by anyone getting it. They're saying you'll still need to wear your mask into 2032. So um, get out there and uh, invest in some kind of Marvel or Star Wars or Disney princess mask. Do that. Do that. Good night.